Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles with you and open them to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 in a Bible study that I've entitled, The Promise of the Father Arrives. The Promise of the Father Arrives. And this study is kind of preparatory for the whole chapter. So forgive me for the longer introduction today as we prepare for some of the future studies in this chapter. But you know, at this point in Acts chapter 2, we have seen the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and Jesus' promise to this group of about 120 that he would send the promise of the Father. He says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And then he ascends into heaven and leaves the disciples in a position of waiting. And that's where they are. They're waiting. And God is ready to act upon his promise in just a few moments as we see it unfold. But as we step back, I want you to consider for a moment the room that you're sitting in. Now, of course, if you're listening on the radio or watching online, you have to do this like as if you were here with us. But for the sake of us here today and downstairs, I want you to consider the room that you're in right now, and I just want you to to remember that this room is filled with incredibly gifted spiritual men and women, that God and every believer here has gifted you in an amazing way. And here we are as the body of Christ. So much diversity among us. So many diverse gifts and spiritual gifts among us. And yet at the same time, every person is unique. So so you have a uniqueness about you and who God has made you. And yet together we're known as the body of Christ. So much diversity, so many differing gifts, but one body and one family. And the problem that we face many times is that we have had ingrained in us in our culture this sense of independence. And so you really magnify more of your individuality than you do of the body that you're a part of. And there's this, ind- this independent spirit about us. And instead of thinking about each other, we think about ourselves a lot more. And I would like you to replace the independent spirit, that word independent, I would suggest that you replace it when it comes to your relationship with the church and replace independent with the word interdependent. Because in the body of Christ, that's exactly what we are. We need each other. You are needed in the body. You are needed in this church. You are wanted and needed with the gifts that God has given to you. You're needed, but, but I'm also needed. And, and together, we are needed. And and I like to tell the folks that are in the school ministry, the guys and gals that take that, or if we're discipling the pastors, staff meeting, whatever, from time to time, I'll remind us that we, the word we, is the language of ministry. It's not just you, and it's not just me, it's us. We, we together, in the power of the Holy Spirit, using the word of God, have the privilege of making an impact in our community and beyond. We're not independent. We need each other. And you need to know that. Now, bringing it home even closer to this particular church, you know, you're a part of a large, growing church. I'm going to use the words large and small, not because of one's more significant than the other, but just for illustration purposes. Because, I mean, those are relative words. You know, if we say large, you go, well, if we compare ourselves to a church that's 15,000, then we would be a small church. 
If we compare ourselves to a church just starting at 30, we would be a large church. But for the sake of our discussion today, you could say that we are a large growing church or we are, much, we are larger than when we first started. And I believe that's God's will for us. I believe he still wants to continue to grow our church, grow our church in impact and size. Now, as I'm teaching, or you might be talking to different people serving here, you'll hear all kinds of different things. Like, like you'll, you may hear stories of the times when we were meeting as a church down in the basement of a Baptist church, or at least downstairs, in a Baptist church right up here on Winston and Hampton in that community. Or you may hear of stories of the many years that we spent in good old Columbia Middle School. Seven years we spent there. And what a ride it was. What's, what lessons we learned in the Lord there. Or perhaps you might hear the Episcopal Church referenced over on Wagon Trail in Buckley. You know, we were looking to start a midweek Bible study, and I literally called church after church after church after church. Nobody would rent their church to us midweek. But I finally got a hold of these guys, and they said, you know, we won't rent the church to you either, but we have a shack in the parking lot. Do you want to use that? And we said, we'll take the shack. And that's where we started our midweek Bible study. Adults up top, kids on the bottom, and there were many stories there as well. You might hear stories of New Life when we met at New Life Church across from Rangeview High School. They rented to us a larger room upstairs and a few of the children's ministry rooms, and we grew our midweek study there. Perhaps you'll hear from time to time us reference the One Way Cafe, and you might think it started downstairs, but it didn't. It actually started across the street in the Seven Hills Shopping Center. We got this corner unit that nobody was using, that nobody could find, but it was perfect for us. And we signed a three-year lease, and we had this idea of opening a little coffee shop, a little bookstore. We had our offices there as God was growing our team, and then we had little uh, uh, gatherings of men and women there for many years. But here's the thing. Many of you didn't experience any of that, except that it's your history. And so as you hear it, you kind of think about it, but you weren't there. You're actually here right now in this building. And you know, this building and property had its own story too. Uh, this was a vacant lot of land for a long time that we had a sign up that said, one day we'll have a building here. And basically it was just, it was just tumbleweeds and trash. Because you guys know, right? This road over here on Hampton, it dead ends to the dump. And it heads, we are on the road to the, how do you find Calvary? Take the road to the dump. And we're right on the right-hand side, almost there. And you know, as the trucks go down Hampton, they share what's in their truck with us. And it comes on the property all the time. So we would have all these gatherings from time to time. We would come out, clean the property up, pick up the trash. And then the Lord just led us to this place where we had to make a decision. And we started the process of building this building. But if you just walked in today, when we built this building, it stopped at this wall right here. This wall used to have windows on there, and you could see the Rocky Mountains. And everybody on this side used to be completely mesmerized by the view, because it is an amazing view. And I'm like, man, that was a mistake putting, so we got rid of all those windows. <laughs> No, it's the only place we could build. And so the first building was right here. On, it ended here, and then we quickly outgrew that, and then we, had a, we built all that on the other side. And then once we, once we had that, then more people were coming, and we needed more parking. Then the Grace Church up there were very gracious to us, and they sold us an acre and a half of their land, so we extended the parking lot. But then extending the parking lot opened the door for us to build a little playground for the Calvary Christian Academy and take all those parking spaces. And so you can see that we have a history, and you are a part of it. Whether you were here or not, that's your history. But today, 
you're going to learn that your history goes far back beyond the little basement down the street or Columbia Middle School. Your history goes back to the day of Pentecost. This is what we're learning today is your past. Yeah, we have our own little story. We're coming up on 22 years now in December. December 26th is our 22-year birthday as a church. But our history goes far back beyond that. The work of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost is you. But here's the thing about our church. Our church is large and growing because that's God's will. It's large and growing not because we adopted some program or we read some book or, you know, we got all some book. Oh, look, this is how you grow a church. That's not what we're interested. When my family and I moved to Colorado, we weren't interested in growing a church. We were interested in serving the Lord, whatever he had for us. And it's been an up and down, left and right journey for us for sure. But we're grateful to be a part of what he wants us to be a part of. And it's this church. And yes, this church is much larger than when we first started. And I'm grateful that God has helped me to mature and grow with it. And God has also, for many of you, been around for a long time. You've matured. And wherever you drop in on the life of this church, God is going to bless you through it. And he's going to use it in your life. And you're going to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And for me as a pastor, I love large churches. I do. I love large churches. I was saved in one, one that's much larger than this. I was saved in a large church. I was discipled in a large church. I was trained in ministry in a larger church. And, and I just love the diversity that comes with a large gathering of God's people in a large city that, that has just so many differences, so many cultural influences. It's a beautiful thing. I think it's just a taste of what heaven's going to be like with every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping God at the throne. It's just going to be glorious. And we get a very small taste of it. But there, is a few, there are a few problems with large churches. And I think you may be aware of some of them. Listen, our fellowship church, our church grew and continued to grow larger because everyone at some point thought and believed that they were important. And they wanted to be used of God. You could say in a very real way, every generation of a church, we're standing on the shoulders of those that came before us. We're standing on the faithfulness. I mean, we're in a building that the people at Columbia Middle School, and some of you were there, but we're sitting in a building that people at Columbia Middle School, that version of the church, they funded it all through their giving, their faithful giving. And we get to enjoy it. And then many of you, you know, as you're giving, you get to be a part of all these types, but we're really interconnected, interdependent in the church. By the way, we're also interconnected and interdependent with every real good church in our city. We're not in competition with anyone. Anybody that's doing a great work in our city, preaching the real true gospel, lives are being changed, families being changed, that's a good thing for us, not a bad thing. That's a wonderful thing. That's what God wants. That's a kingdom mindset, that God is doing what he wants to do, and we get to be a part of it. But for our church, for us individually, you have to understand that there's a, a long line of faithfulness in the men and women that's called this church their home. That there are many that along the way that have believed they had a place to serve and grow in the family of God. And so you step out in faith, committed. And then the Lord adds to the church daily, such as being saved. Building upon what he wants to accomplish in and through us. But then there's a subtle transition that takes place. And I've witnessed it through the different phases of this fellowship. You'll start to hear people say, oh, I'm not needed anymore. And it's just a spiritual attack of the enemy. That's all it is. Oh, I'm not needed anymore. What do you mean you're not needed anymore? You're probably needed more now than you ever have been in a growing church. Yes, you're needed. 
But a lot of times, you know, that, that's when that fresh wind of change takes place. And you know how? You don't respond to change very well. So, oh, you know, they don't need me anymore because some significant change. No, no, not at all. We just got to go with the flow with whatever God's doing with the changes. But of course you're needed. Uh, and also like a, a, a statement that goes along with that is people start to think, well, I'm not important anymore. You know, I live in a big city. I work for a big company. I live in a big neighborhood and nobody knows me. That's not true. Now, all that big stuff might be true, but God knows you. And when you begin to step into people's lives, people will know you. When you start showing up at hospitals and visiting people when they're sick, they'll know you. When you start introducing yourself and praying for one another, they'll know you. Like, like you just have to be careful that there's a spiritual battle going on as God continues to add to his church. We'll learn that in the book of Acts. Just in the simple distribution of clothing and food to the widows, there was all kinds of drama over that. Because growing churches deal with drama. It's messy, it's dirty, it's difficult. That's the way church is. And it's normal. But of course you're needed. And then when the church grows, people get tired. People get tired. You might be tired today because you serve in the church. There's nothing wrong with being tired. As a matter of fact, if you're tired, you're probably doing ministry right. Because the Bible describes ministry as a labor of love. I mean, if you're up all night praying for people, you're going to wake up tired. Like, if you have a late night time, you get done with church, but you're in the parking lot for two hours, you're going to be tired. If you're dealing with the difficulties of people's lives, you're going to be tired. Tired is not bad. And by the way, you can serve God and be tired at the same time. It's okay. There's no problem with that. But then tiredness is different than people going, well, you know, I'm burned out. I'm burned out. Can I just say, it's not God's will for you to be burned out. So if you're burned out, you, you should really consider resting. You should really consider, hey, whatever I'm doing, I'm not doing it right because I ended up being burned out. You know, being burned out speaks to of, of doing things in your own flesh. Maybe you feel pressure or guilted to do something. God's, that's not God's heart. Or you're doing too much. You don't know how to say no. Then you get to a place. Listen, if you're burned out, not only do you need a rest, but let me consider, let me, let me, let me suggest to you something else. You should take responsibility for being burned out personal responsibility. You, you should look at your life and say, okay, Lord, this is not where you want me, but this is where I'm at. So how do I not get here again? Because I want to serve you and I love you and I love serving God's people. But burned out is not where God wants you to be. And then they get bummed out and you just forget that it's the spirit of God using you, that it's a privilege to serve the Lord. And then we forget the reason why people in this fellowship are so blessed, why the community is blessed by this little church that God had in his heart so many years ago. We forget that this church was an answer to God's prayer, to, to man's prayer. God, God gave this church, this community, as an answer to prayer, the prayer of many saints wanting a fellowship family like Calvary Chapel on this side of town. It's literally an answer to prayer that God would reach this city with a ministry like ours and many other great churches because God loves this city. It doesn't matter what people think about this city or the bad reputation or the bad. It doesn't matter. God loves this city. He loves you and your family and the children. He, he loves the refugees that are here. He loves everything about this city. When Jesus would look out, if he was up on the hill on Hampton, looking out over the city all the way into Denver, all the way into the foothills, he would weep over the city. He would weep over the lostness and what sin has done to destroy people's families, what it's done to destroy lives what it's done to, to cut life short because of the sin that has entered in and the rejection of Jesus. That's it, isn't it? Somewhere along the way, we forget the reason why churches grow. 
It's not because I read a book and brought it back to the staff. Hey, check this out, guys. This guy's church grew, and let's apply all his principles. We don't do that. That's great that his church grew, but his deal is not my deal. I don't need some program or tell me how. Just read the Bible, pray, teach it, and let the Lord do what he wants to do with his church. That's our heart. Jesus said he would build the church. I trust him. It's his church. I get to serve in his church. Imagine that. You get to be a part of his church. That's how much he loves you. He says, come on in. <laughs> come into the family. Yeah, but, but Lord, you don't understand. I'm so messed up. Yeah, I know. Messed up people are the only ones that get in. That's all there is. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is so good to us. But somewhere along the way, we forget that we start in the spirit, but then try to perfect things in our flesh and our wisdom. And let me just say this. Not only do I love large churches, not only do I love our large church, but I don't want to shrink as a church. I don't want our church to shrink. I don't want our church to, to quit giving faithfully. I don't want our church to quit caring. I don't want our church to quit praying. I don't want our church, I mean, if you think about it to the, to the end, I don't want our church to disappear as many churches have over the years. I don't want it to disappear. I, and I thought of it this thing, you know, this came to me last night where, you know, that Calvary one day would shrivel up. Like, like can you imagine driving through town Driving through town, coming through Hampton and Biscay here, coming Hampton and Tower. And on the right-hand side, instead of a church, it's a marijuana dispensary. Is that what you want to see happen to this building? That's not what I want to see. God did not give this building to the church of Jesus Christ so you can sell pot from it. That's not his deal. That's not his will. But you know, churches do get to a place where, man, they, they, they shrivel up and die. You know, I, I think uh, that we should buy more property for Jesus, not less. Uh, I think more property should be dedicated to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But one day we'll vacate this property. But as a leadership team, we have made a commitment. We will only sell to another church. This is going to stay in the family until Jesus returns. As long as I'm the leader, this is going to stay in the family. That's the way it's going to be. I don't want some pot dispensary here. I don't want this building shut down. I mean, I don't even want a gas station on this corner. This corner belongs to Jesus, and the gospel needs to come from it all day, every day, until he returns. Like, I want to be able to say, hey, you know what? You gave a turkey to some guy. He got saved. That turkey. Yeah, that turkey, that gift card. You gave a gift card to someone. Yeah, he got saved. Like, wow, that's crazy, man. I give gift cards all the time. They don't get saved. Sometimes they do for the sake of Jesus. I don't want to see everything just shrivel up, but if you, don't, if you don't protect yourself, you'll shrivel up. If you don't watch out for the warfare, you'll just start complaining, murmuring, oh, church is too big. Yeah, it's supposed to get big. Today you're going to see in one moment with a message that is far less long than my introduction, <laughs> 3,000 people are going to get added to the church. 3,000. Now, I've never seen that in our church. God has always done ones and twos in our church for the complete history of our church. We've never seen this massive, you know, thousand, hundreds of people. It's always been one at a time, which is the way I think God wants us to grow. That's his desire. But here, 3,000, 120 believers are going to be 3,120 in just a matter of moments. But I can say this. We in our church, I am more committed today than the day which I moved here. And that, that's a pretty big statement to make because I was thinking about it. Like, like I, on Saturday nights, I say a lot of things. I'm like, where did that come from? And then I get to repeat them to you today. And it's just like, yeah, I'm more committed. And I'm like, wow, it took a lot of commitment to come here. Like we, we left everybody and everything. 
It wasn't that far. It was about a thousand miles. But like I was thinking back, like, man, I was pretty committed when I got here. How can I be more committed? And the only answer I can say is that the Lord continues to grow my heart. That's it. I, I don't know. But I am more committed. I mean, I, I, I can think too, in the early days, I wanted to go home. I can tell you that. It just wasn't working out the way I wanted. And I was committed, but I was ready to go home too. I was actually on the phone with my boss at one point in time saying, hey man, it's not working out here. This isn't, work's not working out. Church isn't happening the way I thought it would be. It's like, is my job still available? Oh yeah, come on back, Eddie boy. That's what he called me. Come on back, Eddie boy, sure. And Marie's in the background, we're not going home. Hang up the phone. We haven't even been here six weeks. You're already wanting to go. And it's like, I'm sorry, Ron, I gotta go, click. We're here 22 years later. Marie was right again. <laughs> Don't tell her I said that. Just keep it between us. I am committed. I'm more committed than ever before. Some of the most enjoyable, highest things I've ever experienced have been in this church. And some of the most deep, searing pains have been experienced in this church. And I think it's all God's will for us to grow and learn, for us to... You know, what, he's not even really interested, God, I think, the way we are, like growing a church. He just loves you. He wants you to grow. And when you grow, the church grows. And when the church grows, the community is impacted and changed by your faithfulness. It's not some pulpit ministry or radio. or ra It's all of that are just tools so that God can use you, so that God can build you up, so you can be the man, the woman that he wants you to be, so that we can be a church with the best love, best cared for, best spiritually fed sheep in all of our community. We picked that up from Pastor Chuck Smith as he laid that before us. God wants to pour his spirit out on you so that you use your spiritual gifts. So with that in mind, we're going to look at the first four verses. And then remember, this will be a prelude to the rest as we finish out chapter two in the coming weeks. But notice with me in verse one. Now, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So notice with me again, verse 1, the day of Pentecost fully coming. This is an exciting time in the city of Jerusalem. This was one of the three pilgrim feasts where all males were required to come to Jerusalem and celebrate this feast. It's a key celebration, and the city is packed with people. Remember the three feasts, if you're taking notes, the first one was Passover. And when you celebrated the, the feast of Passover, you were commemorating and remembering God's faithful deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt. They were never to forget God's delivering power. Secondly is this one, the day of Pentecost, the feast of Pentecost. This was the feast of the ingathering. You could say it was a harvest festival. And they were to celebrate the provision of God as they would bring in the crops and thank God for them. And then thirdly was the feast of tabernacles where they'd build little booths and they'd sleep in them at night and they would be there to be reminded. The feast of tabernacles would remind them that they, God was faithful and took care of them in their wilderness wanderings. Isn't that beautiful? God doesn't want you to forget his faithfulness. He doesn't want you to forget his protective power, his provision, his presence in your life. And all of these are fulfilled in Christ. But here's the thing. By the time you come to Acts chapter 2, it had just become a religious activity. 
Not unlike some of you here today, you're just going through the motions. It's just religion. You're just doing it because it's the thing to do. You're doing it because you got kids and you got to show them you go to church. So we go to church, do our thing, and then we go live our own life. That's kind of how it is here. Except that it's worse here because the spiritual leaders, they are not leading the people properly. And the reason being is that they have rejected Jesus. So the temple is there. The priests are doing their whole thing. And God, his, his voice is silent. Why? Because he's already answered by sending Jesus. The answer is Messiah, the Savior. But what did the priests do? What did the religious elite do? They murdered him. Rejected him. Heaven is silent. But there's this little group. So you got thousands worshiping up on the temple. But there's this little group of 120. You'll read, whenever you read through the scriptures, there's always what's called a remnant. Just a small group of faithful. You know, everybody might be doing one thing, but there's always a small group of faithful people. Even Elijah was reminded of that. He felt so alone. And the Lord goes, you're not alone, man. I got thousands reserved. Don't worry about it. You keep your eyes on me. And there's this little faithful 120 people. That's who God's going to speak to. Not only is he going to speak to them, he's going to fulfill his promise of sending the Holy Spirit. It's, it's really encouraging to me to know that in times where I feel like I'm forgotten, in times where I feel like I'm all alone, I'm not. The Lord is with me. There might be all kinds of activity. I might feel like, man, personally, maybe today you feel like, oh, I'm overlooked. Everybody, I'm being neglected. You're not. Let the world do whatever the world's going to do. You just be faithful. The Lord will meet you with the 120. The Lord will meet you in your little family of three or your little family of one. God is with you. He'll minister to you. He's going to show up just like he said he would. And so notice as they're coming together, also in, in verse 1, that they were in unity. Like you can write next to it in verse 1, one accord. Just write that word I share with you, interdependent. That's what they are. They're together. We are in this together. That's really what he's saying. They're, they're in unity. We use unity, it kind of gets lost. Think of it as together. Or like what we like to say here, we lock shields. We're in this together. We're fighting the right war with the right weapons, and we're not fighting one another. We're together. We're fighting the real enemy. And that's what they're doing. They're waiting. They're worshiping. They're wanting the promise. And then suddenly, verse 2, suddenly. Let me pause on that for a moment and remind you. Because, you know, when you think of suddenly, it almost always refers to bad things. You know, I was going along, and then suddenly this changed, and boom, it ruined my life. Or boom, it hurt me. Or we think of suddenly like, like bad things only happen suddenly. But today the Lord wants to remind us in the text that good things happen suddenly too. It's not just bad things. Good things can happen fast. Things can change very quickly. The Lord can change the whole trajectory of your life in an instant, suddenly. They didn't know when this was going to happen. Remember? They didn't know. They just said, wait. But when it happened, they knew because it, it happened quick. That's why, that's why I think, too, there's that sense in the scriptures of us being alert, sober, sober-minded, because things can happen in an instant, and you want to be ready for them. You want to be alert so you can respond properly. So notice how he gets their attention. First of all, there's a sound. And Luke here describes it, he compares it to a rushing mighty wind. So think tornado. Think catastrophe. Think loud, disruptive, attention-getting. Although it's a sound, it's actually not the wind. It's just a sound that's like the wind. And it, the sound notice in verse 2 filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then, secondly, 
there appeared. So first he got his, their attention with their ears. Secondly, in verse 3, they, now he's getting their attention with their eyes. Then appeared to them divided tongues. And they, whatever these divided tongues are, they looked like fire and set on everybody. So that was pretty trippy. So they're watching it all happen. There's this noise. They're just waiting, worshiping. And then boom, everything's happening all at once. There's sound. There's something with their eyes with these little fires. And then verse 4, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the fulfillment of Acts 1.8. Jesus said, wait, you'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit, become witnesses. Now it's happening. And it's happening in a very spiritually dramatic episode, I would say. The mighty rushing wind is a great description of the, the move of God here, you know, back in John chapter 3. Let me show it to you. Would you turn back just to John chapter 3 for a moment? The Greek word for spirit here is pneuma. Whenever the spirit is referred to in the Hebrew, it speaks of the breath of God. And then notice here in John chapter 3 is Jesus is teaching to Nicodemus in verse 5. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then check out verse eight. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. And so the spirit now is likened to wind. You feel it, but you don't know where it's going or where it's coming from. And now you have the Spirit of God combining with fire in your life. And you could call this like a firestorm of God's presence that happened suddenly. Happened suddenly. Church, if we're not in a position to be ready for the sudden work of God in this culture, we're going to miss it. And I don't want to miss it. I don't want us to be caught off guard and off on doing something and being involved in something while God is doing something in the culture, we're off doing our own thing. That's not God's will for us. Getting caught up in things that have no eternal significance. They have no eternal significance. So we're a church all active and doing this and having this and, and all the while people are lost, dying, going to hell, but we've got our cause and we've got, let's go fight for it. No, 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 listen. God wants to work suddenly in us, empower us, and then send us into the world. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about this section. It's why I paused at verse 4. You read this text, and so many people miss the significance of the text because they focus on tongues. And they just want to argue about tongues. That's their big deal. I believe it, don't believe in it. It's this, it's that. And they just argue and argue and argue about tongues. Is it for today? Is it not for today? On and on. And while they're arguing about it, they're actually missing the whole point of Pentecost and the whole point of Acts chapter 2. You see, Acts chapter 2, this section here, is not about the gifts. That's not the priority of this text. The priority of this text is not about the, the wind, the noise, the sound that comes in like mighty rushing wind. The emphasis of this text is not about the little tongues of fire that is all, although it's all pretty amazing, that's not the emphasis. The emphasis is not even on the gift of tongues. The emphasis here is not even on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and God fulfilling his promise. Listen, the emphasis of this text is God himself. 
the promise keeper. That's the emphasis of the entire scriptures. But you know, people get caught up in tongues and what, and they miss the whole point. Like God is keeping his promise here. And over and over again, if God's going to keep his promise with them, don't you think he's going to keep it with you? You know, when the Bible says that what God began in this, what, what God began, he's faithful to complete until the day of Jesus Christ. Don't you think he's going to keep that in your life? He was promise keeper to these guys. And this is your church. Acts chapter two is your church, your history. And God was faithful to them. He's going to be faithful to you. He's going to take care of that situation. He's going to keep his promise. He's going to speak. He's going to lead. The point is never the gifts. Ever, never. It's always the giver. He's the focus in this section. And what we learn about him is that God is utterly faithful and reliable in every way. Can I get an amen on that? You guys with me? God is utterly faithful and utterly reliable in every possible way in your life. And you can bank your life on it the entirety of your soul. Acts chapter two is God who cares about his people, cares about his promises, and he loves the broken, dark culture so much that he pours out on 120 people to go out and reach it. This is God's plan, we learned in previous studies, to reach the world, this 120 people. Can you just step back for a second and wonder, what's God's plan for this little church? What does he want to do? Like, what does he want to do through our lives? Who's going to be reached that isn't reached yet? What's going to be birthed out of ministry that will reach and minister and serve and be the church in our community, in our workplace? I mean, they were given the promise and now God's beginning to fulfill it. And the promise comes to you too. So when you come up to this text, I don't want you all caught up with tongues. I don't believe in tongues. I wasn't raised in tongues. Listen, set that aside. It's just like, well, I view tongues differently than you do, Ed. Okay, okay. I'm not going to argue with you about it. That's okay. I don't want to argue about it. It's fine. You have a different view? Fine. I'm going to walk away, and I'm going to move on. If you want to keep arguing, you're going to have to go to a mirror and argue with yourself. Because I'm, I'm not going to go there. And because I'm a Bible teacher, I want to give to you our view of tongues here. We believe it exists. We believe it's for today. We believe it can be exercised. We believe it's not given to everyone. But let me give you a definition, just for the sake, just for a few moments, of tongues. Because here, as you look at this gift, it can be easily distracting. And as you're distracted, I don't want you distracted anymore. The gift of tongues, by definition, is a heavenly language by which a believer communicates to God where human language is incapable. So here we see it as a heavenly language that was interpreted in their own language, according to verse 6, or the Greek word there is dialectos. They could understand it in their own dialect. Because notice in verse 5, in Jerusalem there, there was devout men from every nation under heaven. And this, all this activity got their attention according to verse 6. And then it says at the end, they heard them speak in his own language. Look at verse 8. And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Notice in verse 11, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Later on, this gift was misused in the church in Corinth, and Paul spent some time in 1 Corinthians 14 correcting that. Now, I have taught on this in more in depth in those studies. So on our website, on our app, there's a section there of spiritual gifts, or you can just go directly to Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians, and I've taught specifically in 1 Corinthians on the gift of tongues and interpretation in tongues. But for us today, 
Let's consider in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says that the gift of tongues is something that speaks to God in verse two. In verse four, the gift of tongues is a self-edifying gift. So you are edified when you exercise it. In verse five, less than it, compared to the spiritual gift of prophecy, again, in the broader gathering, it is less important than using the gift of prophecy. We learn that in verse five. And then in verse six, this is 1 Corinthians 14, it's not understandable in the body without an interpretation, and it's better to teach than to exercise this gift in a, in a group of people. And then finally in verse 12, when you think of spiritual gifts and tongues in particular, just think about edifying the body more than edifying yourself. And that'll lead you in what gifts to exercise. Because according to verse 40 of 1 Corinthians 14, God loves everything to be done decently and in order. And we went through that in depth. When we think about it, language, when you think about language in its very essence, language is really just an agreement between two people that certain sounds mean something. That's all really language is. Where right now I'm speaking and making noise with my mouth, hopefully articulating words that you understand, you understand the sounds I'm making, and then you understand the word I'm trying to say, and you know the definition of it, and now you understand what I'm saying. That's all language is. Like when I was teaching recently at that pastor's conference in India, Dialing in, I was doing exactly what I'm doing right now, making sounds of the only language I know, English. That's the only language I know. And so as I was speaking in English, there was another guy on the other end that understood the sounds I was making, and he understood them, and and he then turned them around, and then he started making completely different sounds, completely different. I had no idea what he was saying or how, how he was saying it, but you know the people in front of him? They had an agreement with him that those sounds meant something and they totally understood it. You know how I know? And one of the times, I didn't do this on purpose, but it's good for illustration. One of the things I said when I was saying, I was like, I asked for a response so that if they understood and they agreed, I said, just raise your hand and say amen. So I said that and then the guy, he said his and guess what the people did? They raised their hand and said amen in a whole different set of sounds. That's language. You guys with me? Let me give you a test, okay? Here's the test. When I say the word this, this, you understand that this means this. Yes or no? Yes means yes. No means no. How How do we do that? I made a sound. You understood it. You responded with a sound that I understood. That's just language. That's all language is. It's an agreement of sounds and a variety of sounds depending. Like, you know, you think about what what language they were speaking. I don't even know what dialect they were speaking in India, but it was something that was very foreign, not not anything that I understand. But the same is true with Arabic. I've been in Arabic countries. Hebrew is hard for me to understand. Chinese, Japanese, like it's very hard. But all it is is just, you know, you think languages have divided us all these years, but in the Lord, by faith in Jesus, we're all together. And every tribe, tongue, and nation from every language that you can think of is going to be worshiping Jesus at the throne. That's just incredible to me. And it's something I want to experience more and more in my own life. Tongues, then, is an agreement with God. He makes this agreement. And, and tongues is an agreement made by God that when a believer utters ecstatic sounds inspired by the Holy Spirit, They are interpreted and understood by God as prayer and praise 
that comes deep within my soul. So the mind of the person is engaged, but it's not leading to full understanding. It's a communication that bypasses the mind. The speaker knows what he's doing, but doesn't necessarily understand what he is saying, and yet is edified. And this is the problem. Because whether you realize it or not, our culture has, very, has made us very much rational, logical, pragmatic people to some. Some are more than others. Nothing wrong with any of those characteristics, by the way, except when they dominate your life. When they dominate your life, and, and this is what it's like, this, this is what it's like. When they dominate your life, you begin to dismiss the spiritual and the supernatural. You, you dismiss anything like, well, that's from the law. I don't believe that. Well, why not? Because I don't understand it. And here's what it sounds like. You know, like we, we live in a culture like, if I, I need to understand it. I, if I understand it, then I'll do it. And I want to understand it. And that's our sense of learning and growing. Again, another great attribute. But what it's led to is this. If I don't understand everything, I won't do anything. And a lot of people live their life like that. It's like you go to a you're going through a difficult time or you're faced with a new opportunity. You say, I just don't understand. How can this be? Listen for those words because that is you in the place of, I will not move forward until I get the answer to this question. And when, I, when I'm in a place where if I don't get the answer to this question, I won't move forward, what you're doing is you're living by understanding. Now, of course, things can be explained. Again, you want to look at this in the broader sense. But I know for a fact, there are people listening to me right now, this describes your life. You don't step out in faith for anything because you don't really understand. And because you don't understand, like you look at tongues, oh, I've never, I would never even be open to that. It doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, okay. So the whole eternal God is now limited by you. Don't, doesn't make sense to you. And you're not open. And you're not willing to obey and, and follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Let's back up a little bit. Let's do something more simple. You're on your way to work. And you just decided to get a donut run. You want to bless everyone. So you go down on, on Parker there, the Shipley's Donuts. You get in the drive-in line. You order. But as you're the second car in, you get this impression to say, you know what? Get the donuts, but also I want you to pray for the girl that's going to stick them out the window for you. And you're like, oh, no. Why would I do that? I'm, I'm late. I'm going to be late to work. Why would I do that? That can't be the Lord. I'm just here for donuts. And the Lord goes, no, you're actually not here just for donuts. You're here because I want you to pray with that gal. Well, I don't know. I think I just want to get my donut. I'm just here for donut. I don't understand. Why would I ever want to pray? Like, I don't have, and you start explaining away, explaining away, explaining away. But could you ever consider that even the desire for donuts was so that you could be connected with that gal at the window, so you could be prompted by the Holy Spirit, so you could just pray with her? And you're like, well, well if I do that, then everybody's going to wait, wait, wait. They've been waiting forever anyway, so they can wait some more. It's no big deal. Well, I just don't understand. Nobody said you need to understand. How would you ever know the kind of upbringing she had? How would you ever know, single mom? How would you ever know the difficulty her getting to work or the bus being late? How would you ever know she can't pay her bus? How would you ever know? Like, how could you ever possibly understand that? Just obey God. And then when you obey God, he'll start to reveal things to you. And then you find out, man, I think I, think I need to come back and order donuts every Friday, because I just want her to know that there's a God in heaven that loves her. It's not even about tongues. Are you guys with me? It's not about tongues. I mean, you can hold whatever view you want on tongues. That's great. But you know what's more important is the glory of God manifested in our city. The glory of God living through your life. The glory of God saving your marriage, humbling you, 
The glory of God raising your kids in the next generation. Why, do we want, why would we want a large church? I'll tell you why. Because salvation equals generational change. That's why. Because when you are saved, you, almost always your family follows. And then look what happens in a, sa- a saved family. What happens? What happens? You start ministering to your wife. You start ministering to your husband. You start ministering to your kids. You start caring about your mom and dad. Then you start reaching out to grandma and grandpa. You got aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews, generational change. Then what happens? You start raising your kids. You could be the generation where your whole family's changed. You want, you want a large church? I want a large church because I want to see generational change in our community over and over and over and over again until I see the Lord return. That's my heart. That's what I hope is your heart. So now everybody that's clapping, we have, we have you on iris. We just read all of your irises and we're going to follow you all with every camera in this city to watch you change your community. Yeah, that's what it's about. Like you agree with me, then live it out. The Lord loves you. He wants to use you. He wants you to be raiding and worshiping and wanting the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to recognize you have more years behind you than you have in front of you because nobody knows the day or the hour that we're going home, man. None of us. We got to go out strong and faithful and stronger than when we started. And maybe you're just barely making it to the finish line. Then we got to help. Remember, we learned the feeble knees, the weak hands, the church, we help one another. And it's not even about serving in the church because you could listen to a study like this and go, oh, well, I guess you need a whole much more people serving in the church. The answer is yes. Yes, we do. We do. We need all of you. It would be my dream to see every single person serve in some way in this church. Yeah, all of it. Not 20%, not 30%, 100% across the board. But that's not what I'm talking about. Because serving in the church is not the end of your life. It's just the beginning. Because when you serve in a church, it's like practice. (laughs) You get to practice on people that love Jesus and understand or learning about forgiveness or have a heart that's been touched. Like you you serve in a church, you start to understand your community. You start to walk in, you go, man, this community is hurting. Like there's a lot of hurting people here. There's a lot of hurting family. You know, you, you, you listen to the news and, and unfortunately our city's been in the news because of great loss of life. And if you view that any other way than broken families, hurt families, you're not going to respond properly. You're not going to respond with the heart of Jesus. You're just going to play into the narrative of everyone else. Oh, bad city. Oh, they're such a bad city. Oh, bad city. Listen, every city is bad because every city is filled with people touched by sin. And here you are and here I am in such a position to make a difference. You go ahead, but it's not that big a difference. No, no, no. If it's we, it's huge. And God uses his body. Yeah, you have a little, you have a little, you have a little. You don't think of thousands and thousands of little changes aren't going to make a difference in our city? They have for 22 years now. They have. This is what this little group of people are going to launch off onto. It's not about tongues. It's not about the wind, about the noises. God is prepping. They don't even know this. But in seconds, like, like in minutes, The Holy Spirit's going to save 3,000 people through a very simple message that Peter gives from memory. Why? Because he hid God's word in his heart. So church, let's not minimize or miss what's happening here. God is alive and moving and ready to act in a cold, hard, dry, empty religious city. The focus isn't on tongues, but on the promise keeper. The focus isn't on tongues, but the giver of life. The focus is not on tongues, but the gospel lived out in our lives. Because, you know, people always want to put you in some kind of category. They'll look at our church and go, are you guys Pentecostals? 
The answer is yes. We believe in the day of Pentecost. Yes, we're Pentecostals. Well, then are you charismatics? Actually, we are. The Bible teaches about the charisma gifts. So yes, we are. But here's the thing. We aren't the way you probably think and the way you want to put us in some category. We just believe the Bible and we want to live it out. We don't want to fill anybody's categories or be anybody. That's why I just like to refer to myself, you know what? I just like to follow Jesus. I'm a Christian. That's who I am. And I want to live my life to please him and honor him. And I want him to be manifested and shown through my life. That's who I am. And that's who I want to be. And that's what I want our church to be. We don't believe the Holy Spirit is weird at this church, okay? You might be weird. The Holy Spirit is not weird. I might be weird. That's fine. It's okay. I don't even judge myself. I just want to serve the Lord with a clean conscience and a simple mind. But we don't believe the Holy Spirit's weird here. But we believe he is amazing and powerful and ready to explode upon your life just like these guys. Suddenly, suddenly, suddenly. He wants to empower you and use you. He wants you to walk forward in his strength and his power. You're not going to like Paul. Hey, I don't look back anymore. I look forward. Let the Lord do what he wants to do in my life. Amen? Amen. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to make use of this time today. Thank you for this church, for the growing church. You know, all the people we've had the privilege of serving over the years. Some are still here. Many have moved on. Bless them. Even the family I prayed into Kansas today. Bless them. Encourage them. Use them in greater ways. We just pray, God, that our hearts would be in tune with you and that we would really embrace a real personal Pentecost. Just be done with any game playing. Come to you hum- humble and repentant. And just come with open hands, receive, ready to receive whatever you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's take that little element and start to carefully open it, please. And we're going to sing this song under the Lord. You have freedom to stand or sit. There's a whole open area here in front of the stage. You want to use it to kneel, lay face down, whatever the Lord has for you. Let this be a sweet, intimate time of communing with God, coming together. Let it be meaningful. So just hold on to it. We're going to sing together, and I'll come back and lead us in receiving the elements. You have the elements with you. These elements are just symbolic you know this this is just a symbol of a symbol remember the bread in jesus hand and he said remember this take it and eat it it's my body broken for you and you know we don't often remember the broken body we don't think about it every day to our own you know for us we should be remembering it so jesus said remember it remember i was beaten for you not a man not a church not a pastor jesus died for you. Jesus was beaten for you. Jesus was slapped and spit upon. Jesus had his clothing stolen from him and gambled over. Jesus went all the way through all the Roman scourging and everything else so that you might remember the price. Remember what Jesus, uh, what Paul said, the Holy Spirit said, uh, that God demonstrated his love toward us, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. So let's lift this up before the Lord and let's do in obedience what he said and remember this. God, we pray that our memories would improve and we would daily live with a sense of your body. 
sacrificed and given for us in our worst, not our best, but in our worst. We pray your spirit, make it known to us that we might receive the supernatural power of abiding in you. We take it together in Jesus' name. Let's partake. Then he took the cup, it says, and you have that in your hands. This too is a symbol of a symbol. He said, take this cup and drink it. It's the, uh, the new covenant. It's my blood that's shed for you. The new covenant. Not a covenant of performance or activity and everything that we can do, but it's a covenant of what he did. It's not our works. It's not all that we can offer up to him. It's, it's his finished work. And it's so good to remind. It deals with the sin in our life, right? The guilt, the condemnation. It deals with the shame. It deals with the heavy burdens we place upon ourselves. It deals with uh, the unforgiveness that surrounds us. The blood. It's real. Let's lift the cup. Father, we pray your blessing upon the new covenant in our lives. We want to walk in the newness of life. Not in the oldness. We want to walk in newness. We don't walk in cleanness. We want to walk in sobriety. We want to walk in clarity. We want to walk in agape. And we all have room to improve. And so we just yield ourselves. We cast our cares upon you. You, you, Like it says in Romans, I beg you by the mercies of God to present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is our reasonable service. And as we stand, as we have this cup in our hands and we'll soon be partaking together, God, we we are wanting to respond to that plea to present ourselves. So we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Let's partake. And we have an issue, don't we? You don't know where to put it. (laughs) So this happened last night. I'm aware of it. And I said, let's keep it this way. We could have put things out and fixed it today, but I asked for it not to because I wanted you to feel that feeling. That just, it's a little feeling where I don't, I don't know what to do. I used to do, I used to put it, but now I can't do that anymore. It's changed. You know, it's not significant. It's not a big deal, right? It's just a little cup we're going to take and throw in the trash. No big deal. But it is because your whole life is made up of little things like this, where you're unsure and you're uncertain and you don't know. And you got that little feeling, but it's actually bigger and bigger. And you're wondering, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? It's different. It's different. Change. I'm not, and you just had it for a split second. But in life, sometimes it's much longer. And I just want you to know, the Lord's going to take care of you. You're going to be okay. You're going to get, make it through. God's going to help you navigate through this challenging time. He's going to help you with that feeling. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure where to go. He may not give it to you today. He's going to give you his presence today. But he'll give you a solution when you need it. He'll give you the answer when it's time. He'll come upon you suddenly. But along the way, he's going to take care of you. He's not just faithful in the moment. He's faithful in every moment, church. And so cups, you know, we're going to be careful with them. We're going to throw them away. We're going to set things up in the future where you can just throw them away in here. But it's not about the cups. It's about you, how you feel in life, how challenging things get, how difficult things can be. And you just have that feeling, what am I going to do? And you're, you're like, no, I'm going to look to the Lord. I'm just going to trust him. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to cast my cares upon him because he cares for me. So let's stand together. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. 
For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.